You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Chinese intelligence services are seen beneath the WinNTI umbrella, North Korea's offshoring cyber operations, Zoopark Android spyware is now in its fourth generation and still active in the Middle East and North Africa, vulnerabilities in Dasan Jipan routers are exploited in the wild, Russian Twitter bots are suspected of tweeting death threats in the UK, and how do you solve a problem like GDPR? From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, May 7th, 2018. ProtectWise's threat research shop, 401TRG, has identified a common actor behind a number of disparate threat groups that have been active since at least 2009, and perhaps as early as 2007. ProtectWise concludes the group, WinNTI Umbrella, is run by the Chinese state intelligence apparatus. The groups that fall under the umbrella include EAD, Barium, Wicked Panda, GREF, PassCV, Axiom, and WinNTI. Security firms have tracked these groups for years. ProtectWise argues that they're a single operation. Researchers base attribution on common infrastructure, overlapping tactics, techniques, and procedures, and above all, operational security lapses that reveal attackers' locations. The operation's initial targets are gaming studios and tech companies where they seek to steal code-signing certificates. There's some collateral criminal bycatch, but the ultimate target appears to be political intelligence. Tibetan, Uyghur, and other domestic dissidents or groups of suspect loyalty have long been prime collection targets of Beijing's surveillance apparatus. Recorded Futures report last week that North Korean elites are changing their online behavior, also notes that North Korean espionage services stage much of their cyber operations through other countries. Readily accessible gaming services, BitTorrent, and video streaming make a country attractive. So does hosting North Korean diplomatic and cultural missions. There's a chain of North Korean state-owned restaurants abroad, for example, that appears to afford operators with good staging opportunities. These would appear to account for the strange and surprising list of countries that seem to have become presumably unwitting launch points for Pyongyang's cyber attacks. India, Malaysia, New Zealand, Nepal, Kenya, 
Mozambique, Indonesia, and China. The typical goal of the attacks is theft or fraud, with overseas operators returning their take as a kind of government-directed remittance. Defectors say they might, individually, earn around $100,000 a year, with $80,000 of it returned to the Kim regime's accounts. Kaspersky warns of Zoopark, now in its fourth generation, an Android malware campaign active mostly in the Middle East and North Africa since 2015. One of its vectors is Telegram, the secure chat app. Telegram has for some time been in disfavor with the more repressive regimes in Eurasia, Russia and Iran prominently among them, and this will no doubt lend some urgency and a color of law enforcement legitimacy to their efforts to block the chat app. Consistent with their usual practice, Kaspersky doesn't speculate about attribution, but their report does note that surveillance tools are popular among regional governments. Vulnerabilities in Dasan Gigabit Passive Optical Networks, or GPON, routers, disclosed last week, are now under active exploitation by botnet herders. Researchers at NetLab, a division of cybersecurity vendor Kihu360, think over a million routers are vulnerable. Mexico, Kazakhstan, and Vietnam appear most affected. ISPs in those countries are thought to have built much of their infrastructure on top of South Korean manufacturer Dasan's devices. Amid continuing concerns that the U.S. and China are increasingly engaged in a security-themed trade conflict, ZTE is appealing the U.S. sanctions levied against it to the U.S. Commerce Department. Russian Twitter bots are again in the news, this time in the U.K., where police are investigating what appears to be a wave of Russian bot-driven tweets of death threats and other unpleasantness. In this case, the occasion appears to be the internal Labour Party dissatisfaction with party leader Jeremy Corbyn. Corbyn has, in recent weeks, faced criticism of perceived softness with respect to Russian activities, like the Salisbury nerve agent attack, and of alleged blindness with respect to anti-Semitism on the part of some of his associates. He's also been criticized for Labour's disappointing performance in recent local elections, where Labour was widely expected to romp. In any case, the troll farms seem to have been up and at although in this case, as elsewhere, it's worth remembering that information operations are difficult to assess. Finally, concerned about GDPR? Well, who isn't nowadays? With full implementation less than three weeks away, taking a good look at your data, purging all that unnecessary stuff, making good and sure that Google and Facebook haven't quietly offloaded their liability onto you behind a dense smokescreen of terms of service and end-user license agreements, lawyering up, done all you can to avoid being hit by one of those 20 million pound fines, that's 24 million dollars in Yankee greenbacks, chum, or a fine of 4% of your company's annual worldwide revenue, if that happens to be greater than 20 million pounds? Are you good to go with the 72-hour deadline for revealing breaches? Hired yourself that data protection officer you've been meaning to get around to? Or is this maybe all too much for you? Thinking of going off the grid entirely? Probably not, but a number of companies are saying so long, farewell, auf Wiedersehen, goodbye to European businesses. Steelroot, the Boston-based cybersecurity company, early Saturday tweeted out, quote, We were blocking before GDPR. We have no customers outside of the U.S. Minimizes scans and junk traffic to our site. Minimizing EU collection is a nice benefit to us. Obviously not a self-contained GDPR strategy. End quote. 
but maybe you're not ready or able to do the same. If you're not, here's an alternative we read about in Bleeping Computer. There's this product, GDPR Shield, whose makers say it will keep you out of trouble by blocking all traffic from the EU. GDPR Shield is JavaScript you can embed in your website to keep any EU visitors out. No data, no problem, or so the proprietors say. But hold on, Nordamericanos. Maybe it won't shield you as much as you thought. GDPR covers data about European citizens wherever they may be. It wouldn't appear to lend itself to geofencing. Consider this hypothetical. A dodgy pre-Brexit English expatriate, let's say from Birmingham or Durham, mooching around in Los Angeles and dividing his time between, let's say, UCLA and various divey San Fernando Valley snooker parlors, is seized with a powerful hunger and orders one sandwich, animal style, from a nearby In-N-Out burger. To save time, he does so online. I mean, maybe he's still GDPR'd up, even if he's on his phone from the corner of Pico and Alvarado, right? Weird, huh? Anywho, 18 more days until GDPR. We're looking out for you. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Strata, you can effortlessly integrate non-standard apps with any identity service, like MFA or SSO, with zero coding and zero hassle. Designed by identity architects for identity architects, Strata works with every vendor, standard and app architecture. This means your apps can now speak modern protocols and integrate seamlessly with your chosen identity services. From securing on-prem web apps to migrating away from outdated identity providers or consolidating them, Strata helps you keep your complex access policies as you modernize your identity infrastructure and get rid of technical debt. Join leading organizations like 3M, Dallas County, and CIBC in securing your apps with Strata. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity security priorities, and receive a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is David DeFore. He's the Senior Director of Engineering and Cybersecurity at WebRoot. David, welcome back. Um, we wanted to touch today on anti-malware testing. What can you share with us about that? Well, you know, I think everyone is aware, you see publications always rating anti-malware software, how well it does in tests and things of that nature. And I think it's probably a good time to just highlight how that testing works, um, how it's maybe not 
changed over the last uh, 10 years or so and, and kind of just, you know, talk about the bigger things you need to be looking for in anti-malware solutions. Yeah, well, take us through. What, what can you share? Well, so back in the day, a lot of times the testing, the way it worked, was uh, you would go out, you would find malware. Uh, if you're a tester, you would drop that malware on machines that were not connected to the Internet, but they had the latest updates of, of the anti-malware files. And, and you would see how well it detected that malware on the machine. So basically, install some malware on a machine, run the anti-malware, make sure it's up to date, and then see how well it detects. And that's kind of how you rated it. Frankly, we haven't moved too terribly far beyond that in this day and age. You know, some folks uh, in, in testing labs do try to spend time uh, using some polymorphic malware, trying to see if they can elicit some behaviors, which that's good. It's, it's a better way of testing than just strictly looking at signatures. The problem is um, a lot of, you know, next generation malware solutions, anti-malware solutions, they're doing much more than just trying to detect a malware file. Yeah, you know, I, I saw actually recently on Twitter, uh, someone was making the point that we all sort of talk about, we refer to it as a traditional antivirus, and we've and this person was making the point that that's sort of a straw man at this point, that traditional antivirus does, it's not really a thing so much anymore. That is absolutely true. And so my point in, in all of this is testing antivirus in the traditional way probably isn't giving us the best understanding of the efficacy that we're seeing. For example... There are solutions now that do the you know meat and potatoes, scan for files, look for behaviors, things of that nature. But, but before that, they're warning you about malicious websites or they're scanning sites you may browse to or email to detect if you're trying to be fished. So, so they do some things up front. And in addition, after a piece of malware lands on a machine, not only is it trying to detect it, but let's say it misses that malware, it might actually be looking for exploits that run in a machine uh, to try to determine, hey, is, is this piece of software exploiting my machine? So there's a lot going on before and after that traditional antivirus that we always think of. And so what's your advice for folks who are shopping around? Is this, is this a case where necessarily more is better? Should, should I load up on different products to make sure that you know, I have a belt and a pair of suspenders? That's a good question. Um, you know, a belt and a pair of suspenders, as long as it's not slowing your computer down uh, too much, doesn't hurt. Mm. But I guess what I would highly recommend is don't just look at test results that say how fast something found a piece of malware or did it detect all the files that were loaded. What you want to do is look at something that has more of a holistic approach that prevents things from getting on your machine or looks at things other than just um, malware by looking for those exploits and things like that. So I guess it's it's a great place to start making that determination. Is this file good? Is it bad? And look at those reviews. But, but you want to take that step further to ensure that um, the solution you get is preventing things from actually getting on your machine. That, that's really the advice I can give. All right. David DeFore, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, David. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.